listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Man, welcome to Sojourn. If this is your first time gathering together with us, as Eric said, we are so thankful that you're here this morning. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks or this has been your church for a long time. It's just good to be together this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if I haven't had the, the pleasure of meeting you, I'd love to remedy that today. Uh, so please feel free to come up and say hello after the service if we haven't had the chance to meet. But I'm grateful that all of us are here especially uh, if you're trying to check out who Jesus is, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, I'm thankful that God has brought you to be here this morning. You know, the most significant question that any of us could ask or answer in our life is, who do you say Jesus is? If we really stop to think about that question, who do you personally say Jesus is? I mean, is he just a good teacher? Is he white with light brown hair and blue eyes? Thanks. Is he a creation of some religious fanatics? Is he Lord? It doesn't really matter, though, how you answer that question right now. What I want us to think about when we think about that question, though, is it's not just a, uh, an intellectual question to ask or some philosophical question to ask. It's actually a matter of life and death for you. Because how you answer that question, what you think about who Jesus is, impacts your life, not only right now, but for all eternity. And that's significant. But the good news is, is that God has not left us to ourselves to figure out the answer to that question. He's made it very clear to us in and through his word. And because of that, we're going to begin a new sermon series this week called Seeing Jesus. We're going to spend, yeah, we're going to spend weeks, months, walking through a book of the Bible called the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is one of four Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. The word gospel means good news. And so when you see that word gospel or hear the word gospel in particular related to these four books, what they're saying is, is this is good news about who Jesus is. That's the goal and the purpose of each of those books. In fact, John tells us the, at the end or towards the end of his writing in John chapter 20, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But he says this, here's the purpose of the gospel of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That means that the answer to the question, who do you say Jesus is, is the very point and purpose of the Gospel of John. And that's what John's trying to communicate to you. And so every text that we're going to look at as we walk through this sermon series, all 21 chapters of the Gospel of John, is we want to look at those texts and we want to see who Jesus is. And we want to learn about him. And as we learn about him, asking, what do, we, what do I need to learn? What do I need to know about who Christ is? And that by doing that, we would see him rightly. And that by seeing him rightly, we would believe in him and know what it looks like to truly know and follow him. And because the answer to that question, who do you say Jesus is, impacts your life now and for eternity, it means it's for every single person in this room. Whether you already call yourself a follower of Jesus or not. 
This question impacts the reality of our life here and now, and so that means that the sermon series is both for the believer and the non-believer. It's for the person who's full of faith and the skeptic. And so if you find yourself anywhere on that spectrum, I'm glad you're here this morning, and I hope you'll continue to gather with us. But before we dive into John this morning, I want to encourage you to do three things. I'm going to give something away, so pay attention, okay? Three things. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to read through the Gospel of John. Maybe you've never read it before. Maybe you've read it hundreds of times. But I want to encourage you just to take time as we're walking through this sermon series just to to open it up and read it. And I want you to read it, especially if you've read it many times before, read it with with a childlike faith, with childlike eyes, like as if you've never read it before, looking to see Christ in it. So one of the ways I want to help you to do that is I'm going to give away four ESV, Gospel According to John, Bible journals. So basically, this is the whole Gospel of John, okay? And inside, on each page, you've got text of the Scriptures, and you've got a place to write notes. Somebody gave me this as a gift for my birthday a while ago. I've been using it, studying 2 Corinthians, and using it now for John. It's so much fun to be able to underline, circle stuff, and then write notes on the side. So I've got four of these today. So if you want one this morning, go ahead and raise your hand, and Edward will find you and give one to you. Now, if you don't get one today... Uh, there are, they are about six bucks on Amazon. So you can go order one uh, on your own. And if you can't afford to get one, I would love to buy one for you. So please let me know and I will, I will make sure that you get one in your hands, okay? Now, as we do go through this series, every week on our website, uh, we're going to post on the blog on our website the text of Scripture that's going to be preached, some questions that you can consider as you're kind of walking through reading that during the week, and a couple of verses to memorize. So again, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, uh, I want to encourage you to be engaging with God's Word as we walk through it, not only on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing I want to encourage you to do as we dive into this series is I want you to think about two or three people you can invite to come gather with you. And, And it doesn't matter, again, if you already know Christ or don't. Maybe you're here this morning checking out who Jesus is, and you know two or three friends that are also checking out who Jesus is. Invite them to come with you. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, somebody you meet when you're grabbing a bagel or coffee in the morning. Invite them to come and gather with you. We have some little cards out on our resource table that have the question, who do you say Jesus is, on the front, and on the back it says information about this series and about our church. Grab a few of those and use those to invite somebody to come hang with you on a Sunday morning. Third thing I want you to do, if you're a praying person, is to pray. Pray specifically for yourself, pray for the person you invite, pray for our church, pray for this sermon series, that God would use it in a unique way in the life of our church as we spend a good chunk of time walking through this gospel with the hopes and desires to really see who Christ is. And my hope is that God will use our time in his word to increase our faith if we already have it or to bring it about if we don't that we would really come and and behold who Christ is. And above all, we would truly see Jesus and and believe he is who he says he is. And he came to do what he said he came to do. And that by believing, that all of us would have life in him. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the Gospel of John this morning. And may we see Jesus clearly today. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Matt will bring a Bible around to you. I'd love for you to be able to read along with us. Uh, And if you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, take that home so that you can read the Gospel of John this week. Uh, But as we do weekly at Sojourn, we stand when we read God's Word, so let me invite you to do that this morning. And we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John, the Apostle John, the author of this book, writes this. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, and let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be able to gather together this morning. Holy God, we thank you for making yourself known to us. God, we thank you that you've given us your written word, that we can open it up, that we can use our eyes and our ears to listen and read and understand what you want to communicate to us about who you are. So God, I pray that you'd help us today. I pray that you'd help us throughout this series. I pray that any misconceptions we have about Christ will be resolved and set aside. I pray that you'd correct and convict. I pray you'd enliven and encourage us this morning and throughout this sermon series that we might truly see who Christ is. We might see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus, that you would transform our lives here and now and for the days ahead. God, we thank you for this time. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd work in it. And we pray it'd be for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, there's a lot of famous opening lines to books and movies. I mean, you can think about like the, the beginning of Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. The short opening line of Moby Dick. Anybody know what it is? Call me Ishmael. Okay, or if you're, a, if you're a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, there was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Maybe you don't read, but you like movies. You don't hear this at the beginning of the movie, but you read this at the beginning of the movie a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, the opening lines, though, of the Gospel of John are no less famous. These words are written almost 1,900 years ago, and they've been read by millions and millions and millions of people in all kinds of different languages. I mean, that's mind-blowing if you stop to think about how many people over time have read these five lines, these opening lines of this Gospel that we just read aloud. But what do any of these well-known opening lines do? They invite us into a story. They, they draw our attention and they invite us into a story. And I would argue that the story that the opening lines of the Gospel of John invite you into is way more epic than any of those famous lines from books or movies. It's way more epic, way more significant, because the Gospel of John tells you the story of the person and work of Christ, the most significant person in all of history. One Bible scholar says these first 18 verses in the Gospel of John, which are sometimes called a prologue, he says they're the foyer to the rest of the story. Right? A foyer is that opening place in a home. And so the door has been opened. And he's inviting us in. He's inviting us in to enter in and to come and see Jesus. And in these five short verses, we learn something extraordinary about Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can write these four things down. He is the eternal word. He is God. He is creator. And he is the overcomer. He is the eternal word. He is God. He is creator. And he is the overcomer. And so I want to walk through each of these and then ask why or how these particular truths about who Jesus is matter for our lives here and now. John, as I said, is the author of this writing. We're going to learn more about him as we walk through this as well. But God, John begins this story where any good storyteller would begin and says, in the beginning was the Word. 
Now, this would have sounded very familiar to John's original audience, and maybe those words sound familiar to you, especially if you've read the scriptures before or read the Old Testament in particular, or maybe you've just read the book of Genesis or started to try to read your Bible at some point in your life, and you know the very beginning, the very first verse of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is, in the beginning, God. So John knows exactly what he's doing here. He's alluding to the book of Genesis, but the book of Genesis begins with, in the beginning. In fact, in the Hebrew language, they don't call the book Genesis. They call it in the beginning. That's the name of the book. But what John's doing here, he doesn't say in the beginning God. He says in the beginning was the Word. So what's he talking about here when he says in the beginning was the Word? When we have this phrase in the beginning, it has this sense of time, but it also has this notion of a a root of origin, the start of something. And in Genesis chapter 1, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see that nothing exists but God, in the beginning, speaks creation into existence. That there was nothing. He created everything out of nothing, and he did so by speaking it into existence. It's his word that brings everything into being. I mean, that's crazy. You and I can't do that. We can't speak anything into existence. We can use our hands. We can be creative with our minds. God's created us to be able to do those kinds of things. But he alone can speak and bring everything into existence. We reveal ourselves. We reveal ourselves through our words and through our deeds. And God does the same. We're image bearers of him, so that makes sense. He reveals himself through the word. And we see all throughout scripture that the word is central to who God is. As we just said, God spoke creation into existence, and he speaks through the prophets, he speaks through the writers of Scripture. But this word that John's referring to here is not just for the sake of information, that we just learn more things for our heads. It's not just for the sake of the creation of the cosmos. No, in this word is life. So we're going to find out more in a moment and throughout this series. Now, look at your text again, verse 1. In the beginning was, was the word. When he uses the word was, he's not using that in the sense of a past tense, like the word did exist. No, this is a continual existence of the word. He's saying the word is established and it's ongoing. And when he says in the beginning, he's using the beginning of creation as a reference point. What has begun is not the word, but the word begins at what the word brings about. In other words, and this is our first point here, the Word is eternal. The Word has no beginning and no end. There was never a time when the Word wasn't. Now, the idea of the concept of eternity is really difficult for us to wrap our minds around, right? I mean, everything we do in our life is in reference to time. We think about our birthdays. We think about different uh, events that take place in our life. We have watches on our phones and our wrists. We wake up at a certain time. We use calendars. Everything about our life is oriented around time. To think about something always existing is, is really is mind-blowing. There's nothing we can think of that's like that and really understand what it means to exist for all eternity. But that's good because it places us in a rightful place and God in a rightful place. That he's incomprehensible yet makes himself known. And here we see that he is eternal. The word is eternal. Now, a good question to ask at this point is, is if the gospel of John is about Jesus, how does this connect to Jesus? I mean, his name isn't mentioned here. In fact, as we walk through these first few verses, his name isn't mentioned until verse 17. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, that's where verse 2 is really helpful for us. Look at verse 2. It says, he was in the beginning with God. 
It's a redundant phrase. He's already said that. But he gives us a key piece of information here. He has said in the beginning was the word, but in verse 2 he says he. He was in the beginning. See, John establishes that the word is not some impersonal principle of reason. The word is not uh, the idea of order like Greek philosophy would have said. And John knows that. He's talking to his audience here. He's talking to us in our culture. It's not just about principles. It's not just about reason. No, the focus here, the word that he's establishing is a person. And he's none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. And again, the point of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is to tell you about who Jesus is. If you go to the beginning of Mark or the beginning of Luke, they, back, they both actually use the word beginning at the start of their Gospels. But as they talk about it, they're starting at the beginning when Jesus' earthly life began. But it's like John here is going like, that's good, guys. I love that's where you started. I'm going to go back a little further to the beginning of all of creation and establish something else about Jesus. That Jesus was present then, not just in his mother's womb, but existed for all eternity. The idea of Jesus being the eternal word of God, it would have been revolutionary then as John wrote these words, and it's revolutionary now to think about Christ has come in this way to be God's word. But that's not all that was revolutionary about what John says. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word, Jesus, is not only eternal, he is with God, and he is God. And the fact that he's with God establishes the fact that he's separate from God the Father. The fact that he is God takes things to a whole nother level. And this would have been mind-blowing for people to read that at that time. And Jesus is not some emanation of God. Jesus is not a lesser God. He's not a created God. He is God in his very essence. And this is a foundational truth that's repeated throughout the Gospel of John, repeated throughout Scripture. Colossians chapter 1 says about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And listen, we have to read this whole Gospel, all 21 chapters of this Gospel, in light of the truth of this verse, that Jesus is God. Now, a lot of people have taken these, even just these first five verses and completely misinterpreted and misapplied them. And instead of reading where it says he is God, they say Jesus was a God, or he was created, or he's not really God like the Father is God. And they've misapplied and misconstrued this, and whole false belief systems that have led millions of people astray have been based off a wrong understanding of this text. Now, I'm not going to get into the language, the Greek language. What's abundantly clear here is that everything that Jesus does is rooted in who he is. And John makes it crystal clear for us, he is God. He is God. John's beginning to lay the building blocks for what's called the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is one, but exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's something we'll continue to see unfold throughout this story. So right here in these first two verses, we learn that He is the eternal Word. He is God. And then third, in verse 3, we learn He is Creator. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
Do you see what he's trying to communicate here? John's trying to say Jesus wasn't just present at creation. All things were made through him. The eternal word is the originator and author of all things. And what John does in verse 3 is very clearly establish something else foundational about Jesus. He is not made, but is the maker of all things. Jesus is not made, but the maker of all things. And again, some false teaching, false doctrine would say, well, Jesus is a God. He was created by the Father. And they use some weird Greek stuff that's going on in verse 1. But verse 3 kind of establishes very clear for us, it doesn't matter what you think about that. If anything was made, Jesus made it. So he couldn't have made himself. He existed for all eternity as the creator. And that's why he makes this kind of cumbersome sounding statement in the second half of verse 3 with that double negative. Without him was not anything made that was made. He was the one who brought it about. Colossians chapter 1 again reiterates this idea. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I hope that's encouraging you to you this morning, no matter where you find yourself in life right now. The fact that Jesus, the eternal word, Jesus as God, Jesus the creator holds everything together. That he's not only the creator, but the sustainer of all of creation, the sustainer of your very life. He holds every detail together. And I don't know where you're at when it comes to things like science and faith, but not seeing those things as mutually exclusive realities. That as we dive into the things that are scientific, we can learn more about who God is. We can learn more about his creation. Our world is not a product of blind random chance. At the center of its complexities and intricacies, at the center of its extreme detail and uniqueness is not merely natural laws and and time. At the center of all of it is the king creator, Jesus. But all of these truths about Jesus, the fact that he's the eternal word, the fact that he's God, the fact that he is creator, they, they can leave Jesus kind of out here and up here, kind of distant from us in some ways. And he is and should be highly exalted. If this is all we knew about Christ, if we stopped right here and this is all we knew about him, it would be, it would be right for us to worship him with our whole life. That he would deserve all of our worship and all of our praise and all of our allegiance because he's our maker. But that's not all that we learn about him in this text, is it? He's also the overcomer. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What John says here in verses 4 and 5 is why all that he has just said matters. Jesus is the eternal word, Jesus is God, he is creator, and he's the one who brings life in places of death and brings light in places of darkness. John, again, is doing something crafty in alluding to the book of Genesis. Through the agency of the word, God spoke creation into existence. He created a physical and spiritual life where there was none before. And when he created the earth, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But then... 
God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. So John is definitively declaring that Jesus is the one who brought this about. But that's not all he's saying. See, John isn't just talking about physical life and light. He's talking about spiritual life and light. In the book of Genesis, again, we get to chapter 3, and we see that the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, rebel against God. That God has placed them in the garden, in his presence, amongst his good creation. He's told them to follow him, follow him and, and cultivate creation, to follow him as Lord. And instead of doing that, Adam and Eve are tempted to throw off his good authority, to go their own way, to say, I don't want to be under the authority of God. I want to be God. And so they reject God's authority and they throw it off. And it, it causes, obviously, massive disruption and massive destruction in their lives and in all of humanity. The result of that is God removes them from his presence, and so there's separation from God. It creates a relational difficulty, and that's what sin does. That's what rebellion does. It creates difficulty in relationship. It brings about spiritual death and spiritual darkness. It causes a cosmic fracturing and displacement and disorientation. This rebellion is what the Bible calls sin, and it affects every single one of us, not just with the bad stuff that's out there, not just with looking around and seeing that creation is difficult or we have to deal with things like injustice and poverty and racism and hurt and disease, not just things out there, but what's going on in our own hearts internally. So your heart is the motivational structure of your life. Everything you do is the overflow of your heart. Every thought you have is the overflow of your heart. And what sin does is it taints that. Our, our motivational structure of our heart has been tainted with rebellion, and it leads all of us to throw off God's good authority, to chart our own path, a path that experience in Scripture says only leads to more darkness and ultimately to death. We have spit in the face of God and said that we're good on our own. And the consequence of our rebellion is to bear the righteous wrath of God that we fully deserve for any and every thought and action of disobedience. That's bleak. But that isn't the end of the story. See, darkness is recognizable to us because we experience it all the time. We can turn on the news or we can read something online or just their own reality of our lives. We, we know what darkness is and our world longs for light to break in. And what we learned here and throughout the story that John is telling us is that, it, is that light has and does break in. Jesus has come to bring not only physical life and physical light, but to bring about spiritual life and spiritual light. Jesus is the overcomer because in him and through him, he brings about life, resurrecting us from our spiritual deadness. Colossians chapter 1 again says, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus lived a perfect life, a life that you and I cannot live because of how much sin has affected us from head to toe, inside and out. But Jesus was able to do that, to walk in perfect obedience with the Father. And he not only did that, he willingly went to the cross, a Roman cross and his arms outstretched, nailed to this cross. Not because he needed to do that. 
He was perfect. He had no sin, but he willingly went there to bear the wrath of God for you. He was a substitute for you on that cross. And listen, when you come to the end of yourself and realize that apart from the perfect sacrifice of Christ, you are utterly lost, and you are destined for an eternity in hell, separated from God, bearing the full weight of your sin. When you come to that place, you actually come to a beautiful place because it's the beginning of something new. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you see that someone has already stood in your place and he's taken all of God's wrath on his back for you. Do you know him? Do you just know about him or do you genuinely, truly know him? Have you trusted in Christ? The life that Jesus, the overcomer, brings is the light of men. It's the light of humanity. A light so intense, so intense that darkness cannot overcome it, has not and will not overcome it. How about we get that right? When we think about darkness, never extinguishes light. The tiniest of lights, when it shines in the darkness, starts to illuminate things. You can have your, your, the light of your watch can light things up in a room, a nightlight, whatever it is. When light breaks in, it breaks in. Darkness can't squelch light. Light always squelches darkness. And we see that in Jesus. Jesus is not some tiny light. He's the one who made light. He's the greatest light there ever is, the overcoming light, the overpowering light in this world. And notice it says that his light shines in the darkness, not it did shine in the darkness, or it used to shine in the darkness. No, it is shining right now. This is the ongoing work of Christ, and it should give us hope in the present, because you and I are going to continue to encounter darkness within our own lives and in the world around us, but Christ is the light, as he'll say later, is the light of the world. Now, what amazing news for us. What John declares about Jesus here is what the psalmist says of God in Psalm 36, verse 9. He says, for with you, talking about God, is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Jesus is the life bringer and light bearer. We see rightly when we see Jesus. See, these verses, these first five verses in the book of John are kind of like a teaser trailer. They give us a little hint of where John's going. Start to throw out some themes and some ideas about who Christ is that he's going to unpack way more as we walk through this text. They create anticipation for us of who Jesus is and what's to come. And I can't wait to journey with you through this to learn more about him in the coming weeks and months. But I want us to ask a question as we close today, as we wrap up today. What do we do with this? Why, why, what do we do with this today? I mean, why does this matter right now for our lives. I think we all understand the concept of credentials and qualifications, right? Like we want somebody to be qualified to do something if they're taking care of us. If we have to get medical advice or surgery or something like that, we want a doctor who is good at what they do, that has knowledge about the body, that knows how they can take care of us, not just someone who stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Like we want somebody who actually has a, a, a medical degree that study that, they're credentialed in that way. If we have somebody in leadership in our company or in our country, we want them to be qualified and have credentials to do so. I mean, why is that the case? Why do we care about credentials and qualifications? Because we're entrusting ourselves to that person in some way, shape, or form. And we want to know that they actually are able to do the job that they are called to do, the role they're stepping into. 
And so John is essentially giving us Jesus' ultimate credentials. He's telling us from the beginning that Jesus is fully qualified to do exactly what he said he came to do, to rescue you, to restore you, to raise you up and make you new. Because he is the eternal word, because he is God, because he is creator, and because he is the overcomer. You can entrust yourself to him. Everyone's looking for meaning in this life. Because this life can be hard, it can be confusing, it can be difficult. We can go on Amazon right now and it has thousands and thousands and thousands of resources to help you navigate life. Books and other things you can use. Because dealing with brokenness can be challenging, it can be draining and confusing for us. And when we go looking, trying to figure out how to navigate through life, trying to figure out what to do with our lives to make sense of our lives, we can end up lost and wayward and flipped upside down. But the real goal in this life is not just to gain a greater understanding about how to navigate life. The goal of this life is not just to master principles so you can be successful in this life. The goal of this life is a person, to know Christ. So what this means is for every single person in this room, for every person that's in the world right now, is that Jesus cannot be ignored. He cannot be ignored. Jesus can't be placed on the shelf of your life only to be pulled off when you're in trouble and need some help. No, he is relevant and central to your life every single moment of your life. Whether you're going through something really difficult right now or life's good for you right now, he's relevant to every moment of your life and your parenting and your marriage and your relationships with your roommates and your coworkers and your friends, how you use your finances, what you think and do. Jesus is king. He's your creator. He's your God. He is relevant for that now, and he is everything you need now and forever because life, real life, is created by him and found in him. And because of that, he rightly deserves all of our honor. He rightly deserves all glory and praise that our whole life and every aspect of who we are would give worship to him. So who do you say Jesus is? Maybe right now you are struggling in your faith and you know the right answer to that question. You could, you could say it, but you're having a hard time believing it right now. And that's where you find yourself. I'm glad you're here this morning. There is grace for you. My hope for you is that you will hang around with us and journey with us in this and see your view of Christ, your perspective of Christ and regain that glorious view of him again as your Savior King. Maybe for some of you, you say, Jesus is my Lord. He is my Savior. My hope for you, even just this morning, is that God has reoriented your gaze on Christ. That he's elevating it a bit higher. He's reminding you of the greatness of your Savior. And that your response this morning would be awe. Your response this morning would be worship and thanksgiving for who Christ is and what he's done for you. Maybe for some of you this morning, you've been checking out who Jesus is since you had a friend invite you or you've been just curious about learning more about Christ and this grace that he brings. Maybe you find yourself this morning ready to become one of his followers, that you've heard the good news of what Christ has done and you're ready to cross from death to life. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, tell God that even as you sit in your seat right now. God, I need you. I know Christ died for me and I need to be rescued. Rescue me. Forgive me of my sin. It's as simple and as complex as that. 
And there's a whole group of people around this room right now that would love to journey with you in that as you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you're still curious. You want to learn more. You're not ready yet to start following Christ, but you're intrigued. And no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, I'm glad that you're here today. And God's providence that he brought you to be here today. Will you journey with us as we walk through the Gospel of John and strive to see Jesus rightly? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Sojourn, Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. And Jesus is the overcomer. May we elevate our view of him in our lives and rejoice today that we can not only know him, but be known by him. Amen. One of the ways we can refocus on Christ as our Savior and King is by taking communion each week. It's an opportunity for us to reflect and be refreshed in the finished work of Christ on the cross. As you eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for you, and drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for you, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the fact that the one who is the eternal word, the one who is God, the one who is creator, the one is, that, that same one is the overcomer, that he came to rescue you from your sin and your darkness. This means that this meal is a reminder to you that he came to rescue you, providing a way of forgiveness and a way of freedom. So come forward this morning in faith. Come forward this morning in joy. Come and behold the one who was and is and is to come. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, again, just so grateful that God's brought you to be here this morning, we would just ask you to hang in your seat and consider what I've said this morning about who Christ is. And like I said, if you're ready to start that relationship with him, tell God that this morning in prayer. And if you have questions, let me know or someone else in this room this morning. For those of you that will come forward, there's tables at the front and the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and what Christ, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. God, I am, I'm excited to begin this journey together in the Gospel of John. I'm excited to be together with my brothers and sisters, my church family, so that we could see Jesus rightly. And my hope, God, is that in seeing Jesus, we will truly know him and follow him. And so I pray even now that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to elevate our view of Christ. Maybe we've been diminishing who Christ is. Maybe we've forgotten the depths of our soul, who Jesus is. God, would you awaken our hearts more this morning and help us to see Jesus rightly, to be able to answer the question, who do you say Jesus is with the confident he is the eternal word, the confident full of faith he is God, with confidence that he's creator, with confidence that he's the overcomer who's rescued us, bringing light and life to a dark and dying world. God, I pray that you would do an amazing work in and through this time in your word. And that we would live lives of holiness and obedience and worship to you because of who you are. We praise you this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.